And we're going to pick up in the story of God's people, particularly the southern kingdom called Judah. And a new king, one of the good kings, if you've been reading along, you know there are several bad kings over Judah and a few good kings. And one of the very best kings that Judah ever had was the king named Josiah. And so in 2 Kings chapter 22, we read that Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidiah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Bozkath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. This is a reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let me mention we are, even though school has begun, we are still on a summer schedule for Kingdom Kids. And so they are not meeting this week, so no Kingdom Kids today. And they won't be meeting next week either because next week we will actually have the Lord's Supper to take together. And we always keep the kiddos in either one because they are baptized believers and we want them to have a chance to participate in the Lord's Supper. Or two, they're not yet baptized believers and it's a great opportunity for them to witness uh, what takes place in the Lord's Supper and perhaps go home and ask questions of mom and dad and learn more about what the Lord's Supper um, signifies for us and so, uh, just be, be aware of that, and uh, so it'll be a couple weeks before we get back into Kingdom Kids' schedule meeting regularly. Some of that's based upon volunteers, so if you're interested in helping Kingdom Kids, my wife who coordinates will be glad to talk to you about that. Uh, as many of you are aware, we've been going through a Bible reading plan this year, starting in January. It's never too late to get in on it. If you want to go pick up a copy, we should have some copies in the foyer or on the table in the back where the lamp is over here. Or you can simply go to the website, fbckennedy.org slash Bible. You can download a PDF version of the reading plan and just go ahead and dive in wherever we're at. It's all dated, and so you can just look up today's date and start from there. Because each week I'm actually preaching from some portion of what we read the previous week. And so, of course, that holds true today as we talk about... King Josiah. So let's take a moment, let's pray together and dive into God's word. Father God, I thank you for your love for us, shown to us in Jesus. The love that we just sang about that we want to build our lives upon. God, and I pray that through your word today, you may help us in that journey of becoming more like Christ. And through the grace of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us, you would challenge us. And also encourage us, knowing that the life you've called us to live is not up to us alone. But God, you do the heavy lifting. You walk beside us. You reside in us. You go before us. And you're our rear guard. God, it's incredible to think that that is the kind of God you are. That you are that involved in our lives. That you care that much about us, but you do. And what can we say but thank you for knowing us and loving us and saving us in Christ. Thank you and help us to live into that love that you have for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, 
Today I want us to talk about change. Uh, Some people may like change. Some people may not like change. But no matter who you are, the reality is change both needs to occur and change is often challenging, right? We may be thinking about different parts of our life that need changing. There may come moments where you think about, I need to change the way I approach my marriage relationship, or I may need to change the way I approach my parenting, or there's this aspect of my, of my, uh, of myself that I, I need to work on, you know, maybe, maybe it's a sense of impatience or anger or holding on to grudges or whatever it might be, or maybe I need to change because I'm too lazy, or maybe I need to change because I'm not taking enough time to rest and experience the joy of the Lord because I'm so busy, but if you're like me, It happens regularly. You come across these areas of your life and you feel like, you know, that needs to change. Something needs to be different here. I would like this to be more in line with what I think God has called me to do. You may feel that sense for yourself. You may feel that for your family or in your workplace or wherever it might be. But I think most of us would agree change needs to happen in our lives. How sad it would be if we never changed. If nothing, if we remained the same all the way through our lives. I think we'd say, well, that's a sad thing. We need to change. I think we would agree with that. I think we would also agree with the fact that change is difficult. Change is hard. Even if we like the idea of it, the reality of it can test us. Speaking of testing... This moment in the life of Israel, they have gone through the ringer. This is self-imposed. Israel has been divided between a northern kingdom and a a southern kingdom. This has come about because of idol worship and infighting within the nation of Israel. The northern part, which was simply called Israel, actually gets conquered by a country or by a nation called the Assyrians. And they're taken off into captivity and some are left behind. And it's a mess. But the southern kingdom, Judah, is hanging in there. At least a little bit longer. They have some good kings. Israel never had a good king after Solomon. And so it's a mess and, and they're facing judgment. But the southern kingdom is still intact. And they still have some good kings that come along. And, and Josiah is one of them. And he is born into a moment in Judah's life where there is a need for change. A desperate need for change. And yet he takes the stage as an eight-year-old child. It's one of the realities of change is we're never ready for it. We can never be prepared enough to face significant changes that need to take place in our life. Now, of course, Josiah at eight years old did not begin to lead these changes until much later. In fact, it tells us that it's in the 18th year of his reign. So that would mean he's still a young man. It's somewhere around 26 years of age. And one of the things he does is he says, listen... We've been talking about fixing up the temple. It's uh, in disrepair. There's some, you know, we've, we've, we've had to strip gold off the doors to pay off enemies. You know, uh, you know, it's just in your house. You know how it is. You know, you just after a while you look around and say, man, we got to paint this place. Or that, that has been broken for a while. We need to fix that. You know, it's just things become worn out. And, and Josiah's looking around and says, the temple of God needs some fixing up. So it's not a rebuild. The destruction of the temple will actually happen later on. So it's not the destruction of the temple yet. It's just the, it needs some repairs. 
And in the midst of this repaired job, they come across the book of the law, which we think is probably Deuteronomy, which you would find in your Old Testament in your Bible. And they come across this and they realize we haven't seen this. We haven't read this. We haven't tried to live by this at all. Hilka uh, uh, finds this book or, or it's given uh, to Hilka by Shaphan, the secretary. And so they get the book of the law and they bring it to Josiah. And Shaphan reads from it in 2 Kings chapter 22. And we read in verse 11 what happens. In verse 11, the king heard the words of the book of the law and he tore his robes. That was a way of showing grief. It was a way of showing heartache and heartbreak over what had transpired. He knows that they have not been doing what God had called them to do. And the moment of change has come. And here's what I want us to do. I want you guys to be thinking, even praying at this moment, God showed me. God, show me what needs to change in my life. Now, I'm not saying, show me what needs to change in my spouse's life or my kids' lives. You could probably come up with a long list, couldn't you? They could probably tell you of the things that you think that they need to change about them. But you have no control and no power over that, right? And some of you are frustrated by that, right? We try to do the impossible and change someone else and we just get irritated. Because you can't do it. But under the power of God, with the help of the Holy Spirit, by the grace we find in Jesus, God can help us change. I can't change you, but I can look in the mirror and the person that I see in there, I am responsible for. I'm responsible to change that person. So I want you just to be thinking about, we're going to learn some things from Josiah that I think from his story will help us in our pursuit to change, to become more like Christ in our everyday lives. But before we get to that, I want you to be thinking and try to be specific and ask God to show you. Now, some of you will have a hard time coming up with this. Others of you have way too long of a list, okay? But I want you to just have in mind one thing. If you can do that, if it's possible to do that, even to pray and ask God, God, is there some area of my life that you want to transform? And I want to partner with you in that. What would that one thing be? Now, I want to go through a few ideas. For those of you who the list is empty, give you some thoughts or some ideas you may consider. For those of you who are got a long list, maybe you just take this moment to pray and ask God to pare that down to something that's more manageable, like maybe one thing, okay? Here's some things I find in Scripture that are some areas of change that certainly I have experienced in my life, and I'm not saying I've done all these things, but I know these are kind of some typical areas in my life that God will draw my attention to and say, you know, you kind of need to work on that. First one is a husband, right? Husbands. I find in Ephesians 5 that I am told to love my wife like Christ loved the church, and he gave up his life for the church, to love the church. Am I dying to myself in order to love my wife well? Wives, we find in that same passage, wives respect your husbands who are supposed to give leadership to the home. So husbands, am I loving my wife the way Jesus loves the church? Wives, am I respectfully trying to follow the lead of my husband just as the church is supposed to follow the lead of Christ? Parents, we find in scripture as parents, 
What is our role as parents? To train them up in the ways of the Lord. To teach them God. What, he, what His commands are. And what His promises are that are fulfilled in Jesus. It's our job to tell them about God. To teach them the Bible. To help them understand what God expects of us. But also to understand that God has loved them in Jesus. And so everything we do for God flows out of that love that God has already shown to us in Christ. But am I training up my child, as the proverb says, in the way they should go? Am I teaching them the things of the Lord? Am I being the parent God has called me to be? Now, children don't get out of that, right? There's room for growth for kiddos. Because what does the commands of God say? The commands of God say, all this, by the way, is in the Deuteronomy, because that's where the Ten Commandments are. And one of those commandments is... Obey your mother and father. That it may go well with you. You may have a long life. Kiddos, how's it going obeying your parents? Listening to them, following their instructions. Doing so with joy in your heart. That's the kicker though. That's the tough one. That's the tough one. But how's that going? Have you been faithful in your life to prioritize God? Think about this often for myself. Am I putting God first in my time, my talents, and my treasures? Is God first in my time? Do I start my day and give Him the best of it? My talents, do I give God my abilities, the skills He has given me? The Holy Spirit gifts that He's embedded in me. Am I using those to serve Him and to serve others? My treasures, Am I putting God first with my money? Am I giving Him what, uh, what is owed to Him? Am I managing the rest in a way that would be pleasing to Him? Am I faithful to God in my life to represent Jesus in my home and my workplace? Am I a good witness to those who don't know the Lord? Out in the community or at your, at your job? Or in your home, am I representing Jesus well? Perhaps that is a place in which God is calling us to change. How about as a follower? So many ways we are called to lead. Lead, our, lead ourselves and lead our homes. Maybe in your workplace to lead others. But we're also called to be followers. How am I doing as a follower? How am I doing as a citizen? You know, as a citizen of our country... One of the commands of God is to pray for our leaders and to obey the laws of the land. How am I doing with that? In the church, wherever there is a leadership structure in the church, whether it's your small group or a minister or your pastor, are you doing a good job being a follower to honor them and to honor God? Maybe that's a place that needs changing. A place that needs changing that's always difficult and there can be a lot of shame around this, but there doesn't need to be, is in our sexual lives. Are we, are we honoring God as a sexual being? You know, He gave us that gift. He made us that way. There's nothing wrong with that. But are we operating in a way that would be pleasing to the Lord? Are we following His commands so that we can enjoy the good gift of being a sexual being in a way that would line up with how God has created us to be? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit, this is the last thought, are we allowing the Holy Spirit to control us rather than being controlled by other things? 
alcohol, substances, food, entertainment, etc. There's a whole host of things that we could allow to control our lives, but the scriptures tell us, don't be controlled by that, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Are there things in our life that we're allowing to control us that are not the Holy Spirit? Now what I've tried to just do is just lay out for you kind of a biblical ethic. Things that you would find in the scriptures. You could easily Google search Bible and put in any of these things we talked about and find a whole bunch of scriptures and see that this is the way God has called us to live. Now, Judah knew that. They knew all that God had commanded of them. They were aware of it. But one of the most troubling verses that I think we would find in this whole book, if maybe not the whole Bible, is that even though they knew all of that, not only did they not follow it, but if you look at 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 15, we read that they rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors and the statutes he had warned them to keep. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. Now that's the NIV translation. There's other translations, instead of saying that they rejected his decrees, would say they despised. And in fact, if uh, I went and looked up that Hebrew word, and in fact... Uh, Maos, M-A-A-S, I may be mispronouncing that, but most of the time it's not translated as rejected, it's actually translated as despised. One of the reasons that Israel has been judged and Assyria has taken them over and now Judah is approaching that same faith is because they knew what God expected and they despised it. They even despise their own covenant relationship with him. They own, their agreement with God that God made with them to be their God and for them to be his people. They despised it. And I don't have to tell you this, but we do live in a world that will despise what the Bible teaches us on the basic ethics of life and how we should live. And I'm not saying we should judge the world. Why should we expect the world to act like Christ has called Christians to act? We should not expect that of them, but when we look at ourselves in the mirror, sometimes the area that needs to change is the area in which we see God's word and we don't like what it has to say. I don't want to leave my family. It's so much easier just to let my wife do it. I don't want to have to teach my kids about the Bible. It's just so much easier just to teach them how to throw a ball. And so on the list can go. We can say, I know what God is asking me to do, but if we're not careful by our very lives, we can show that we despise that thing that God has called us to do. We reject it. Now what happens to Judah? They are going to face judgment. Now, Go back to chapter 22. Josiah hears what God expects. And rather than despising it, rather than rejecting it, he is heartbroken because he knows his people, whom he's in charge of, have taken what God has said 
totally disregarded. So much to the point that the book that told them how to live was just collecting dust in a corner or in, or in somewhere over in the temple and nobody knew where it was. They didn't pull it out. They didn't read it. They didn't really know what it said. They didn't care. They'd forgotten about it. And Josiah, hearing what God's word said, feeling the conviction of his heart that they are not where they should be, there has to be change. The first step was to see who God was calling them to be and to be grieved that they were not that yet. And if there's one thing that we have to say is that when it comes to change, some things are minor changes, some things are kind of no big deal, we just need to give it a little attention, but there is something so deeply rooted in our heart that the only way to unearth it so that it might be taken out and something better planted in is that it might start with grieving. That we feel the weight. That we are not yet what God has called us to be. And if you have that specific area of your life in mind, I hope you do. It's okay to feel the weight of that. It's okay to grieve that. It's okay to know that God has a standard I have not yet met in this area of my life. And I, and I feel the pain of that. Because I don't know that you can actually change some of those difficult areas of your life, or or a better way to say it, I don't know that we are going to be to the point where we want to invite God in to change those areas of our life until we feel like the pain, until we feel the pain of where we're at, until we feel like I I can't stay here anymore. I've got to move forward. I've got to do something different in this area of my life. I have to change. I'm desperate to change. My heart is broken that I'm not who God has called me to be yet. I think we have to feel that before any real change is possible. Josiah felt that. But he didn't know what to do. He tore his robes, showed his grief. But he didn't really know what to do after that. So kind of an interesting part of the story. He says, look, we've got a uh, prophetess, a lady named Holda. I want you to go to her. I want you to ask her. He says in verse 13 of 2 Kings 22, Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people in all of Judah about what is written in this book that that we have found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that was written there concerning us. So he sends them off to find Huldah. And the word of the Lord comes to Holda and she says to them, Tell the man who sent you to me, this is middle of verse 15 of the same chapter, This is what the Lord says, I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people according to everything written in the book of the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made. My anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says concerning the words you have heard. Because your heart was responsive. And you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and his people, that they would become a curse and would be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, 
I have also heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. That was a lot of reading. But something important takes place here. One of the things that Josiah has to grapple with is the fact that he's lived as, they have lived their life as a nation up to this point a certain way. God is not going to let them just all of a sudden never experience the consequences of their decisions. Now, what he could have done at that point is said, well, forget it then. If God's not going to change his mind and all that's going to happen is during my lifetime, things are going to be okay and we're not going to get conquered by a foreign power. If that's all that's going to happen, forget it. Who cares? In my human thinking, like that's, that's what I would be tempted to say. Sometimes when we're faced with an area of change that needs to happen in our life, we can say, I'm too far gone. I'm... God's not going to be able to fix all this. This isn't all going to go away. Why make the effort? But that way of thinking seems to not occur to Josiah. It doesn't seem to matter to him that, yes, we're going to experience the consequences of the behavior that's gone before us. But it doesn't mean we can't write a better story for our people. It doesn't mean we can't partner with the Lord to become all he's called us to be. Let me tell you, you know, sometimes the decisions we've already made, we're going to have to deal with the consequences of it. But that's no reason not to seek the Lord to change. Because the end result can be better than before. The end result is not going to be perfect because you're not perfect. But can it be better than it would have been otherwise? I think the answer is absolutely it could be. And it can be. I want to point that out because I don't want you to get discouraged that maybe the fact that you're facing some changes that need to take place, that maybe you're hoping you won't experience the consequences of it, or you know you're going to experience consequences because you haven't made these changes just yet. Don't let that discourage you. Just because you haven't been the husband or the father or the wife or the mother or the worker or the witness that you are called to be, Just because you haven't gotten there yet doesn't mean you shouldn't try. Because in the end of Josiah's life, he could look back and see what God had done. And I believe that even though they would have a bad king after a bad king after a bad king post-Josiah. And even though eventually a nation called Babylon would come in and overtake them. That God used that moment, that time, that stretch of every good king to build a future for God's people. That even though it looked bleak, God was using these little stories, these little moments of growth and change to build a better future for God's people. And so it is with us. Don't spend a lot of time worrying about what could have been. Let the Holy Spirit of God draw your attention to what He wants it to be. To focus on what is ahead. Because the changes he may be calling you to make in your life can build that better future. So Josiah knows going in that after him, at some point, his people will be conquered. But in his moment, he leads reform. You finish out uh, chapter 23... And here's what, or you begin chapter 23, and here's what happens. After he gets word from Huldah, the prophetess, he calls God's people together in chapter 23, verse 1. The king called together the elders of Judah and Jerusalem 
And he went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. So he gets everybody together. And what does he do? He reads in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commandments, his statutes and decrees with all his heart, with all his soul. Thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. And all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. So what began with the reading of God's word and seeing there needed to be change, and even though realizing that you can't perfect the future, we can make progress. Josiah leads his people to recommit themselves to God. Knowing what God expects. Not letting the past control what we're going to do in the future. Allowing the heartache that we are where we don't want to be and we're not where we want to be yet to seep in and then to say we're going to have a moment to recommit ourselves to the Lord. Now what I take from that is there, this was public. This was not just a private decision in one's heart. Josiah got everybody. Everybody's getting together. We're all going to talk about this. We're all going to do this. We're all going to recommit ourselves to the Lord. And he made it public. This is a bit of foreshadowing. But we are going to come to a time in the service. It's called an invitation. It's a chance to publicly say, I need to pray. There's something that needs to change in my life, perhaps. In some way, when we know there needs to be change... And we feel the heartache that we're not yet where God has called us to be. We feel that conviction. And we recommit ourselves to the Lord. I want to challenge you to make that public. Share with somebody in some way. God is challenging me to change in this area of my life. I want you to know. I want you to pray for me. I want you to check on me. Help me out. I need a partner. We're in this together. But he made it public. So what is that area of change that needs to happen in your life? Will you commit yourself to the Lord that you want to partner with him and seeing that change take place? And how will you make that a public declaration? Now, after all of that, the hard work begins. After all of that, the hard work has to start. I won't read all of it. But I don't want to read a portion of it. One of the reasons Judah's in this mess is because they have set up worship, places of worship to other gods. They even have priests that help them worship other gods. They've done exactly what God said not to do. This is not a new story. You've heard this before as we've walked through the Old Testament. And what does... Josiah do about it. I'm just going to read the action words, okay? In chapter 23, chapter 23 of 2 Kings. He removed, he burned, he did away with, he tore down, he broke down, he pulled down, he smashed, he threw out, he burned, he ground, 
He even defiled. All these action words you find in the middle of chapter 23. He goes through and systematically begins to root out all the things in Israel that are keeping them from changing their direction and heading towards God. Because two things have to happen for change. We have to have a direction we're heading and we have to have a direction we're forsaking. We have to follow the things God has called us to do while at the same time leaving behind the things that He's called us not to do. We have to pursue God while also actively not pursuing the things that the enemy would have us to pursue. So not only do you say we're going to recommit ourselves to the Lord... We're also going to remove these things in our life that have kept us from doing that. This is a hard one. If you really want change, there's going to be a couple of sticking points. One, going public with the change that needs to happen in your life is a big one. Because we don't want to do that. We don't want to admit our weakness. We don't want to admit that we need to change. It can be a scary thing. We'll talk about it here in just a moment why it's possible to do that. But we resist that And often enough, we just want to add more God to our lives. And the truth is, well, that's good. We also need to remove the things that aren't of God in our lives. That can be a hard thing to do. To let go of some things. To stop some things. To say no to some things. But may God give you clarity in that. May God show you such a great future that He has for you that you're willing to leave those other things behind so that you can pursue the things of God. That is hard to do. We all know that change is hard. However, it is possible. One of the things that closes out, we're going to talk about how. One of the things that kind of closes out this moment in Judah's life under the leadership of Josiah is they celebrate the Passover. Chapter 23, verse 21, the king gave this order to all the people, celebrate the Passover. Just as it's written in the book of the covenant. Neither in the days of the judges who led Israel, nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, had any such Passover been observed. Think about that. They had not observed the Passover for hundreds of years. Now Josiah sees that that is what they are to do and he says, it's time to celebrate the Passover. Now what is the Passover? You may be wondering, some of you know the story, but what is the Passover? God's judgment passed over the Israelites while they were captives in Egypt. Right before they escaped their captivity, at the Lord's instructions, they took blood from a lamb and put it on their doorposts. And those who did were not touched by death. They were able to escape. The angel of death passed over them. And this blood of the lamb, it signified the grace of God towards his people. It meant that the death of the lamb was life for them. They understood that there is life in the blood. And when there is sin in our lives, the result is death. So how do you get from sin and death to life? 
Something has to take the punishment for that. And in this case, in the Passover, it was the lamb. You fast forward to Jesus' day and he takes this Passover meal and he doesn't redefine it as much as he fulfills it in the Lord's Supper, what we call the Lord's Supper today. And he says, this is my body, this is my blood. What's he saying? He's saying, I am that lamb foreshadowed in the Old Testament. I have come to free you of sin and give you a better future. I think that's the power that we have on our side for change. Is that we find in God that He has already changed some things for us. That we don't have to fear the change that needs to happen in our life because we know the end result is I am a child of God and I didn't get there on my own effort. I've been made a child of God because Jesus, my brother, died for me. That I might be welcomed into the family of God. Took my sins for me. That I might be made right in the eyes of God. That in Jesus I have been forgiven and made right. And so I can step into that future not fearfully. Not thinking that I need to change in order to make myself okay with God. That's a weight and pressure that could crush us. To think that I've got to make all these changes so that God would be pleased with me. We saw a few times in here that God's wrath was not going to go away for his Old Testament people. But if you look into the New Testament, you find Jesus took the wrath of God. That's foreshadowed even as well in Isaiah 53. That he would take the punishment. That, that God would punish his son So that those who believe in Him would not be punished. What I'm saying is there is joyful freedom to allow God to change us. Because we are not worried that I've got to get this perfect. I've got to to change all this stuff. I've got to make all these adjustments to my life. I've got to really clean up or God is not going to accept me. That's a crushing weight. That neither you or I could bear. The greatest motivation for change comes from knowing that God has already changed me in the most fundamental and important ways. He's called me from a sinner to a son and a daughter. He saved me from hell and gave me the destination of heaven. He's covered my sin and made me right. So the change God's calling me to do doesn't come from an anxious place of fearfulness. It comes from a place of freedom. Knowing that I can do nothing to make God love me more than He loves me now. Nor can I do anything to make Him love me less than He loves me now. He loves me to the max as I am. And because He loves me, I want to please Him. I want to change. I want to be more like Jesus in every facet of my life. I desire that. You see the difference in the motivation? One is heavy. It's a yoke we cannot bear. It just crushes us because we know we'll never be perfect. We'll never make those changes perfectly and we'll never make enough changes. But the other is God saying, I love you. We're doing this together. I'm not leaving you behind. I don't care if you do it imperfectly. I'm not going to give up on you. We're going to keep marching forward. I'm in this with you. One is a works-based idea of change and the other is a grace-based idea that God wants to partner with us in that change. 
One is motivated by anxious feelings. The other is motivated by a sense of deep and profound love. So let the love of God drive you to change, to become the person God has called you to be. And know that you don't do that in your own strength. Let's pray. Father God, we are just in awe of what Josiah was able to do, but we recognize it wasn't just him doing it. You were working in him. And he did some very difficult things. And God, maybe you're calling some of us here this morning to do some difficult things. To change some significant areas of our life that aren't lining up with what you have for us. God, can we just stop and say thank you for for wanting better for us. Yes, it's for your glory first and foremost, but it's also for our good. You want good things for us. And so you call us to change. At every step and every phase of life, you're calling us to be more like Christ. And God, I pray that you have revealed to your people here this morning, just as you have to me, that there are places that need changing. But lift us up out of this idea that we've got to do it to be loved by you. Help us set our feet firmly on the good news, the gospel of Jesus, that you have already loved us. You loved us first before we changed. You loved us when we could not change. You changed us when we were helpless to change ourselves. And God, in so many ways, we're in that same place now. We, we rely on you. Holy Spirit, help us to not only see the areas needed for change, help us to have the courage to make that a public declaration that we need to recommit our lives to you in this area or that area. And help us to know, God, that you are walking in step with us every moment. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's a challenge, and it's a scary thought, but <clears throat> know this, and there's not a single person here in this room that doesn't need to change in some way. Every one of us. Maybe you know what that is. God has made it clear to you. And maybe you're at that moment where it's like, you know what? I need to say this out loud to somebody. I need to tell somebody this. I can't just keep this to myself. I need to make my recommitment to the Lord in this area of my life or that area of my life public. The invitation is like, it's for that. It's for you to come forward and say, I need prayer. I need help. Lord, show us. So that's what the invitation is for. Maybe you want to come forward and pray for that. You can pray at the steps. I'd be glad to pray for you. There's people in this room that would be glad to pray for you. Just approach them and say, would you pray for me? Go find a corner and pray together. However the Lord leads, let's respond to him during the...